The Control OAB podcast, brought to you by Astalis. Hello, and you're very welcome along to the first episode of Control OAB. I'm your host, Claire McKenna. Over the course of this series, we'll be shedding a light on a medical condition that affects almost 350,000 people in Ireland today, overactive bladder. Now, if you've heard of OAB, there's a good chance, almost one in three in fact, that you think it mainly affects women, or maybe you assume it's primarily a condition that elderly people suffer from. So it might surprise you to learn that 52% of those affected by it in Ireland are men, and almost half, 49% of the people with the condition are in the 35 to 64 age bracket. These type of preconceived ideas about OAB are why we've partnered with Astalis to create this podcast, which you can listen to in private and in your own time, making it the perfect place to learn about a medical issue that affects a lot of people just like you and me and which we don't often hear talked about. We really want to change that, so we've invited a range of healthcare professionals and patients to share their insights, their experiences and their advice for dealing with this all too common condition. Hopefully our guests will be able to give you the information you need to take control of OAB today. It's as simple as contacting your GP or even visiting oab.ie to complete a self-assessment. So, what exactly is OAB and what should you do if you suspect you have it? To explain all this and more, I'm joined by my first guest, Dr. James Ford, a leading urologist with specialist expertise in OAB in men and women. Dr. Ford, you're very welcome along to the show today. Do you want to share a little bit about yourself and your career with our audience? Well, hi, Claire. Thanks again for the opportunity to talk about this. I'm a consultant urologist based in Beaumont Hospital, but also work in the Blackrock Clinic and the Bonsecure Hospital in Dublin. I specialise in the urinary tract, uh, but I have a specialist interest in what we would call voiding dysfunction, but essentially that's disorders of maybe going to the toilet too much, not enough, and incontinence, urinary incontinence, which is obviously a very common condition in both men and women. So that would be one of my specialist interests. Um, From Dublin, um, I grew up here. Uh, Mayo parents, so unfortunately some uh, trips to Crow Park have been disappointing, but um, I did all my training in Ireland, uh, my higher training, then went over to New York where I had an opportunity to work with some world leaders in the field uh, for a year, which is obviously a fantastic um, opportunity. And then for the past five years, I've been working in Ireland as a consultant specialised in this area. And it's, it's just been a real privilege. And you're doing some very exciting work, I know, in the area of overactive bladder. Can we start at the beginning? Because this is a real information source for people who may have symptoms, may just have a diagnosis, who want to find out more. So let's start with that. What is overactive bladder? So uh, overactive bladder, it's it's really a collection of symptoms. So um, the one of the real defining symptoms would be urgency. So that's when you need to go to the toilet, but you just can't defer it. You have to get there straight away. Uh, some people refer it as the, I, I got to go, uh, the key in the door as soon as they get home, just have to run in. Then you get, uh, you can have different types of overactive bladder, which we call wet overactive bladder, which you may actually have incontinence. Uh, other patients that have dry overactive bladder, where they thankfully don't have incontinence. But most patients would have frequency, where they go to the toilet a lot. And some may have uh, nocturia, which is getting up at night time. 
getting up at once may be normal, but some patients may get up more than once, maybe two, three times. Some patients up seven, eight times, then their complete sleep pattern may be disrupted. So that's really going to affect everyday life, not only your sleep patterns, as you said, but going about your your daily business. If you're going to get caught like that with that urgency, it's going to cause a lot of extra stress. Yeah, I think that's one of the key um, reasons that we see people. It's, you know, this is a benign condition, thankfully, but it does have a huge impact on quality of life. And that ranges from, I mean, in their work life and their social life. Um, you can get extreme cases where patients are really, they're, they're afraid to go into social situations, meet their friends, um, go, go into situations where they don't know where the next toilet will going to be. Other people will get very worried about their work life, that they're consistently getting up and down to go to the toilet. And also then you've got, in severe cases where, where incontinence could be playing a uh, part that they're they're just very embarrassed at the potential that they could have, have an accident. They could be wearing pads, could be thinking about, do I need to bring a change of clothes with me? So there's a huge spectrum, but the impact this can have on somebody's quality of life is huge. Do you think that stops people from reaching out for help because it's it's not the kind of thing you want to necessarily talk about when you talk about wearing pads or having accidents, that's something you kind of associate with, with childhood or it's, it's, it's something that you don't think is a, is a positive thing and you forget that's just a medical condition. Yeah, I mean, I suppose the spectrum varies that some people will present straight away, but I think my experience is there's a lot of patients who are living with this in silence. They're very uh, embarrassed uh, to seek medical help because they think it's not common. I mean, it's hugely common. There's estimated 16% uh, prevalence in the population. That would equate to 350,000 Irish people will be living with this symptoms of varying degrees. And as you mentioned, a lot of people wouldn't want to come forward because that they think it's not common, but it is common and they really should talk to their, to their healthcare professional about it. And what's going on in the body? Why do you not have it one minute and then all of a sudden, you know, why are you going to the toilet as normal for most of your adult life? And then all of a sudden, anywhere from the age of 35, you can be hit with this. Yeah, so I suppose really that I sometimes describe patients that the bladder can have a mind of its own. Normally, as we drink, we make urine, the bladder fills. We all might get the sensation, oh, you might need to go to the toilet, but I'll put it off until I get home or until I get back from my walk, whatever. But in these patients, literally, the bladder will contract itself. So it'll, it'll start to go when it shouldn't go. And the patient may be able to uh, defer or hold on, but they can have a lot of discomfort um, where the body is literally trying to pass urine and they're trying to stop it by either squeezing or whatever. That would be the main problem behind it. The, the bladder itself is literally contracting when it shouldn't. And do you know what causes it or, or, or why it happens or why somebody's more susceptible to it than another? Yeah, so, I mean, they've looked into that um, itself. It, it, you can have patients, what we call idiopathic, where it literally the muscle cells in the bladder just contract. Uh, and that's uh, nothing that anyone can do anything about. It's just the bladder itself, as I say, has a mind of its own. There are other patients who can get overactive bladder symptoms with 
They may have recurrent infections, which can give that kind of urgency and need to go to the toilet. Um, some patients could have, say, like a prolapse or something that could be um, exacerbating that in women. You could have a neurological condition. I mean, I often see patients after a stroke or who might have a, a neurological illness such as multiple cirrhosis, and they can get bad symptoms of overactive bladder. In men, you, it can often be associated with prostate symptoms where they might have trouble peeing, but also at the same time they're going so frequently. So there's kind of a, a range of different conditions that can give the symptoms. And they're one of the reasons it's important to get this checked out, just so, you know, we can see that there's not something else that's causing this. I mentioned the age there of 35 and over, mainly because one of the preconceived ideas is Mm. that it's something that happens in older age and that's not necessarily true. But Mm. can it happen younger than 35 also? It can. I have um, patients, as we were talking, I'm an adult urologist, but I would often see patients over the 18 that can be very, uh, very bothered with this. I have several patients that, you know, finishing their leaving cert, going into first year college, and this is having a huge impact particularly as they embark on a different stage of their life. So, I mean, it does affect all age groups. It is necessary, something that ageing is more common in, uh, with ageing, but it is more commonly seen in, in older patients because there could be other conditions leading, leading to the symptoms. So is it to do with the, with the muscle? Is it muscle wasted or muscle not working as efficiently as it could? It's more that the muscle fibre is it just contracting itself. So the the bladder as it fills should keep relaxed. Your brain should tell you when you need to go to the toilet. And when you think you want to go to the toilet, you go home, that you can basically let your brain contract your bladder and go at a time that you need to go. Um, with, in this situation, the bladder muscle is unstable and is literally contracting on its own accord. Like you said, a mind of its own. Yeah. What about the difference with how it affects men and women? Because obviously we do go to the toilet differently. Mm. So are we affected by overactive bladder differently? Not really. I mean, it's has been perceived in the past that this is a condition that affects females predominantly. But actually the research has showed this kind of a, a 50-50 split. Um, I think we're seeing more men come forward. Men's health is kind of a bit of a buzzword at the moment. Uh, more men coming forward with symptoms. So I suppose the condition itself of the muscle contracting is is really is really the same for men and women. Now sometimes the investigations and other conditions that associate it will be obviously different. Um, but I suppose the concept itself w- would be the same. Because incontinence in women is discussed a lot. Mm. A lot of the time it's associated with with pregnancy, with pelvic floor. Mm. But this is something that's very different. Yeah, so obviously there's a range of um, uh, conditions that can cause incontinence in women. The more common one would be stress urinary incontinence, which is leakage uh, we would commonly see after childbirth, where the pelvic floor with a pregnancy and subsequent childbirth um, has been relaxed uh, and doesn't give the same support. So that when a woman coughs or sneezes or does exertion or some patients, it could be just getting back to exercise that they do have this degree of leakage. So that's more um, of an anatomical thing where there's a weakness of support. Urge incontinence, which would be associated with overactive bladder, is literally when the bladder is contracting and we can't really stop it coming and it, and it comes out itself. So it's, as I say, the bladder itself having a mind of its own and contracting as opposed to weakness of the surrounding structures. And because of that discussion around incontinence in women, they may be attributing overactive bladder to these symptoms mm. and not seeking and not seeking help. Mm. Um, 
And you say more men are beginning to come forward. Yeah. So obviously, I mean, with in females where you have a situation where they're, say, after childbirth, they're being reviewed by their gynecologist, they may mention these other symptoms. And one thing can often lead to another um, that they get investigated for overactive bladder. Often with men, in my experience, they've been more one of the, the silent type that they haven't come forward. They've just been that friend with the small bladder, the guy when they're out, oh sure, he's gone again into the toilet. And it's not really addressed to say, listen, I have a medical condition. So um, it's it's something though I am seeing a, a bigger change. People aren't afraid to talk to as much, maybe due to campaigns like this, that it does highlight that this this, this can be a condition that can affect quality of life significantly. You're right. Women talk about it all the time, like our inability to bounce on a trampoline or our worry yeah. <laughs> about getting on a trampoline with the kids. And it's kind of laughed about, mm. but that kind of removes the stigma. The more you talk about yeah. something, the easier it is. Mm. So it would be better if a man said to another man, this is happening. Is this normal? You might find that somebody else is going through the same thing or get advice. Yeah, Um I suppose it's it, it's kind of an interesting when you when you treat patients, you know, of, of all ages from the age of eighteen up. Um, men are getting better. We are, trust me. Um, you often get the conversation of the guys in the golf club, and one of them brings up that, "Oh, sure, I had some prostate trouble." And next thing, it turns into a conversation. Next thing, they're all talking, and they're all saying, "Sure, I'll go and get that sorted next." Um, I think the conversation is expanding more to all ages. Hopefully, that you know people are more concerned about their health. They're looking at doing regular checkups. So I think that just as part of the whole gamut of that, that it's addressed and and looked into. Yeah, well, look, the whole idea of this podcast is to open the conversation a little bit more. But also it's understandable that somebody might be going through it and want to get information in a private setting. Mm. Um, And if they are experiencing symptoms or what you're saying is resonating with them and they're listening now, what, what do you do? So the first thing you can do is just figure out, do you have the symptoms of overactive bladder? Are you that person where if you think you need to go to the toilet, you need to get there really quick, you can't hold on? Are you going to the toilet? Is your sleep being disrupted because you're getting... I mean, that's definitely a situation that you go and talk to your GP is always a good first port of call. You know, common things are common. You may be checked for an infection just to make sure there's nothing else. Is there any other illness that could be contributing? But if everything looks good and there's no red flag symptoms that we call that there could be anything more sinister, we then look at maybe what could be causing. Um, one of the commonest things we'd see was is really lifestyle habits. Uh, tea, coffee, we're all guilty of it even here now, but people can drink too much of it. I get patients in that really their sole fluid intake would be tea or coffee. Um, I think it's a bit of an Irish thing. I think a few years ago I read we were some of the highest tea drinkers in the world. I wouldn't be surprised if we still are. Um, but patients uh, really can help themselves by reducing their fluid intake. We talk to maybe drinking a litre to two litres of fluid a day. We still get fluid from food as well and don't forget that. But you can see patients up to three, four litres a concept that the more I drink, the better I'll be. Um, we see patients uh, or just general general public walking around with giant, giant flasks of water. think I need to keep hydrated, I need, need to keep hydrated. And that's fine, but if it's starting to have an impact on your quality of life, that you're going to the toilet more frequently, maybe that's something that you could look at pretty straightforward. In terms of I suppose how else you can help. We talk about doing some bladder training exercises that you might see if you can delay it going maybe for another 15 minutes and break that cycle. Well, you, where, when I say your bladder has a mind of its own, 
that, you know, you can give a delay and just see if you can beat the bladder and just see if you can push it out a little bit and hold that little bit of extra. Yeah, because can I ask you about that? When you say urgency, that means you've got to go right now Mm. or it's going to happen and you're going to have an accident. Mm. I mean, five minutes, three minutes, that's not overactive bladder. If you can hang on to it for a bit of time, that's not it. Or how do you really gauge your time wise? It is. And that's where I suppose we get into the wet overactive bladder, the dry overactive bladder. There is a spectrum of even, you know, mild overactive bladder. I get urgency. I'm that person who goes to the toilet every hour, but it's okay because I know at work I can do that. Um, You see the severe cases where they think they're going to go and it just comes straight away. So they're, they're obviously quite a, a severe cohort of patients. And it'll be a difference. I mean, you're living your life one way and then yeah. all of a sudden it's it's impacting and it's happening more often. So if it's a change, yeah. I suppose that's a highlight, isn't it? Yeah, it is. And that's where when we talk about the lifestyle modification, that you can do certain things trying to help with this. Now, this isn't going to work for everyone. But, you know, they've done studies where even behavioural modification, addressing your fluid intake, the types of fluid, things that can irritate your bladder. We talked about caffeine. I mean, all the good stuffs in life, unfortunately, chocolate, all those things, they can all can, can contain caffeine, whatever, with, which then uh, can irritate your bladder. So, Because caffeine is a diuretic, isn't it? Which means it causes us to flush out it's, liquid. It's actually can you more, explain that? Well, it's more of a bladder irritant more okay. than anything is the caffeine. It, you don't necessarily completely dehydrate yourself, but it, as in the classic diuretic, it'd be more that it's a bladder irritant and will cause you to go more frequently. Okay, so these are all the things you want to rule out first. Mm. Can you fix it with behaviour modification? Mm. Have you got an infection? So you've tried all of that. Mm. What are the next steps in managing this? So physiotherapy, I mean, we talked just there about stress urine incontinence. So physiotherapy, pelvic floor is very good for stress urine incontinence and is always recommended as a first line treatment in incontinence, particularly after childbirth or even with, with, with ageing, but also for overactive bladder. You, if you go to a physiotherapist, it's a bit like having a personal trainer in the gym. They can teach you to control your pelvic floor, do these bladder training exercises. I mean, I often explain it to patients as a wave coming towards you of urgency and just trying to let that wave pass so you can wait till the next time and the bladder is relaxed. So your pelvic, physio with a specialist interest in pelvic floor would be a good stop. Then after that, uh, the say your, your GP or your urologist may introduce uh, medication uh, to help with that. And there's a lot of different types of medication that can be used for treated. And then there's more severe cases that I often would get referred that we use you know, third line treatments, you know, the more surgical treatments to try and fix this. But there is an answer. I mean, we're going to speak to some patients in the podcast series. And I think sometimes when you're living with something so stressful as this and then you rule out the really sinister things and then you're given this diagnosis, sometimes it can feel quite heartening to people to have a name on something and a plan. Yeah, I mean, I think everyone loves a label. Uh, It's always good. And if you're told that this just, you know, this isn't normal habit, you have a condition. It's called overactive bladder. There's a spectrum of of the way this will affect uh, your life or even the severity of it. Uh, Not everyone is the same. And even though you might think, oh, well, my symptoms aren't as bad as that other person's, it's still the same thing. And even having, you know, these uh, different treatments available, you can have a huge impact in the quality of life. And, you know, particularly nighttime is the one patients that some of the treatments, you know, the, some of the happiest patients I've seen is the when they ring saying, I slept all through last night. And they may not have done that in years. I mean, 
anyone would know that a broken night's sleep is, is, is not the most pleasant thing. But if this is something you have, you know, you can't blame your children for. And it's, it's, it's your, literally your bladder getting yeah, and you. And it's up. not transient. I mean, a newborn isn't a newborn forever. Yeah, yeah. You know, I know sleep issues can go on, mm. but when you just think this is going to be it yeah. and it can really affect your day-to-day ability, your health, your stress yeah. levels. So I think, I mean, one thing I noticed uh, with COVID, uh, we were all, I suppose, in a very different mindset and getting out and people didn't have uh, the usual toilet open that they might pop into down the road. So a lot of people I saw didn't avoid leaving the house. Um, I've patients that might go they always loved their uh, walk in the park but this condition is affecting them and they might shorten they may not meet me go for that coffee with their friends or you know after their walk so you know there are certain ways that we can you know whatever means of treatment we can introduce to try and improve that quality of life um you know, and in the very, very severe cases where you have patients with, you know, incontinence, you know, who are wearing pads, obviously, you know, it's going to be life changing for them to have a, to, to seek um, assessment and treatment of this. And obviously, I, I know you wouldn't name names anyway, but are there some patients that you could tell us about who really did transform their lives with treatment? Yeah, I suppose getting the more severe cases and being able to form different, you know, more third line or surgical treatments. I mean, there's patients, uh, the sleep thing always r- rings through to me. I slept last night or, I mean, we've been talking about a patient recently that, you know, no fear going into town to go shopping, you know, though, and getting to do the things that they could do, meet their friends for that drink or that coffee or that walk, you know, that they're, they're really, you know, that they're not scared to do anymore. So I think it's important that really to highlight the fact that there are treatments available for this. Well, James, that's going to be very heartening to hear that what can be a very stressful time, that there is a treatment and there is a plan. Claire, well, thanks again for the opportunity to highlight this. I suppose just to reiterate, you know, this is a very common condition. If you think you're affected by the symptoms, I would definitely talk to your healthcare professional. Start with your GP, open the conversation and take it from there. Dr. James Ford, thank you very much. You're welcome. Some fantastic insights there from Dr. Ford. Thank you so much again for joining us today. If any of the symptoms or patient experiences mentioned by our guest today resonated with you, you can log on to oab.ie to complete a self-assessment. As mentioned earlier, we will be joined by a doctor in the area of obstetrics and gynaecology later in the series, who'll be giving us information tailored towards female patients. If that covers you or a loved one, make sure to share the series or subscribe now so that you're notified of new episodes. And don't forget, we'll also be hearing from some patients who live with OAB. As we've heard today, it's a common condition and one we should all be more comfortable talking about. So a huge thanks must go to our partners, Astalis, for working with us to raise awareness of the condition and how it can be managed. Let's take control of OAB today.